0: Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. I'm Elise Mullen, host of this week's episode of Bookmarked and Dog-Eared, a podcast about writing and creativity. Today, we're sitting down with Madison Hamburg for a special episode to talk about his new four-part HBO documentary series, Murder on Middle Beach. The series investigates his mother's murder and turns the camera back on his family in an effort to figure out what happened. Madison is a SCAD grad earning his degree in film and television in 2014. I hope you stay tuned and enjoy listening to our conversation. Well,
1: again, thank you so much um, for being here. I'm first off just want to know how has these past four weeks been for you since you started uh, showing the series?
2: Um really interesting you know I uh this has been sort of like an eight year long double life for me I I, a lot of people didn't know that I was working on this project when my mom died I took a year off from school and when I came back I was um a year behind everyone and didn't tell anyone what had happened to me because I I didn't want it to define who I was I didn't want to be like the kid whose mom was murdered and so I've sort of, it's not something that you, you know, introduce you, I would introduce myself right. as, you right, know, right. and I didn't really talk about the documentary because there's no way around saying it's a documentary about my mom who was murdered 10 years ago and that not, you know, changing whatever conversation you're having. Right. Um. So like a lot of my coworkers, um, a lot of, Uh, my friends even didn't know that I was doing this so it's sort of like like revealing like an eight year long double life and and I think you know especially after the fourth episode um came out it was a way for me to sort of define it Mm -hmm. um and so you know I sort of feel whole again like you know I've sort of revealed what I've been doing and like yeah um you know, this veil of secrecy throughout this whole, pro- you know, project, I- I've sort of been able to give up in a way, um, which has felt relieving, to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, it's tough with, you know, the, my, my family, you know, there's no way of doing a project like this, that isn't in- inherently, you know, exposing uh, vulnerabilities, which is, you um, you know, in in some ways, uh, exploitive. You know, and you know, my biggest fear with this project was that my family members would be cartoonized as, you know, just like you know, villainous or or you know, murderers. And <clears throat> I um, and I I've been so impressed with the public response to the last episode. I'm really proud of everyone involved in that episode because, and throughout the series, because it really shines a light on the the sort of humanness and the the um, tendency for true crime to be exploitive
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and reminding everyone that everyone involved is a, is a human being
1: right. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that, how, or, you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how this is obviously such a vulnerable story to tell. And I was just curious to hear about how the public response has been, I can imagine, you know, it could easily be very overpowering, but.
2: Yeah, the the public response was tough, you know, because I know the full context and, sure. you know, over eight years we've shot over a thousand hours of footage. There's over 200 shooting days for every phone call in the doc, there's 10, you know, with that same person, yes. you know, it's just like, so people have this like, you know very small you know uh bit of context in comparison to the to the journey that we've been on um you know to cast dispersions and and react and you know i'm grateful that people are so invested to be doing that but it's it's tough on my family and mm-hmm. and after the fourth episode aired again i've just been so impressed with the public's response and just everybody is really rallying to to help um, right or wrong. And and also like people, what's really touched me and and just gratifying as a as a documentary filmmaker, just and, and artists in general is someone can watch this who's gone through loss and identify themselves in the story. Because, oh. you know, while losing a parent to murder is extremely unique and a unique grieving process, grief is ubiquitous mm-hmm. and family um dysfunction is ubiquitous and I, and I think like there's a lot of healing by the end of this this story mm-hmm. um, that I, a lot of people have responded to and sent me these amazing these messages like I, I never knew how to articulate my grief over the loss of my mother until I watched you know this scene or that scene and it's just like
0: wow. really
2: really you know gratifying to, to have yeah. a response like that
1: wow I can only imagine um you've sort of touched a little bit already about what this series is about, but for those who maybe haven't seen or heard about it, can you just explain a little bit um, the story?
2: Yeah. um, My mother was murdered 10 years ago and the case has been unsolved. Um, The story is about, honestly, it's it's about me trying to find who my mom was. Uh, When I started, I was going through the stage of grief where I just I was very fearful of losing my memory of her and film has always been a, a coping mechanism for me so when I started in in documentary class at scad I wanted to I set out to memorialize my mother in a way and, and immortalize her through people's memories of her mm-hmm. and you know, after one or two interviews, we quickly realized that this was, this was a lot bigger than that. Um, and that it, there's a lot of, I, I was grieving someone that I didn't know. You know, I knew, I, I was 18 when she died. Mm-hmm. I knew mom, I didn't know Barbara. Yeah. So I sort of shifted to trying to unearth and understand who she was and her influence on my life and understand why she might've died. And um, and that's a really hard thing to to pitch in the true crime space because it's not it's not a you know uh, you know one dimensional murder investigation
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, it because of the personal point of view and honestly my intent was never to find a killer but to exonerate my family members before you know I never set out thinking that I would and we never pitched it as that and when we were pitching to networks that was one of our biggest hurdles was like you know this it, the the biggest question we got was okay how does it end you know do you know who did it and it's like well this story is about identity about family and about my relationship with my mother and they're like, okay, but how does it end? <laughs> and uh, the, the one pitch, well, there were a few that like every pitch was really amazing and every executive was very sensitive, but the one pitch that really stood out was to Lisa Heller at HBO who really, you know, just really got it. And, you know, this isn't a story about, this isn't a story for true crime junkies. Mm-hmm. This is a story for anyone who has a mom.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I also, you know, wanted to hear about the pitching process. Um, and I think you you touched on it so beautifully how it's, um, I think there's a lot of times where people can go into just, they have this idea and they want it to get picked up. And um, if it's not gonna fit what network they're going towards, even if it's their dream network, if it's not gonna fit that, sometimes people just because it's a dream network will change the story and will um, do what they can to get whatever kind of exposure. But I think it's really honorable that you kind of stuck to your story and found the network that was gonna tell that story how you meant it to be told. Thanks,
2: yeah, you know, this story means more to me than a career or a paycheck. Sure. Yeah. So it, to me, it's it wasn't worth doing and only an effort to you know advance those things.
1: Sure. I think um, talking with other people, even just on this podcast or at, you know, through school at SCAD where there's, it's filled with creativity and even through my own personal experiences, there's always that common theme, I think, of using whatever experiences you've gone through as that inspiration and using art as a form of expression and almost like a therapeutic way to go through something. And yeah. I mean, this series is incredibly raw and incredibly personal. When did you realize this was a story you wanted to tell, and how did you start to tell that story?
2: Yeah. Um, I, so just a little backstory. M- my parents told me that they were getting a divorce the day before Christmas, and I was 11 years old, and I guess they had some sort of fight or like couldn't <laughs> hold it up. And on Christmas day, they gave me a, a handy cam. Uh-huh. And I just like totally lost myself in that. Um, just like filming whatever I could mm-hmm. putting together like little movies with my, um, you know, teenage friends yeah. <laughs> yeah, or preteen friends. And like, uh, it's funny to watch those because my voice has changed so dramatically. Oh, I but bet. <laughs> it's it's always been a thing that I turn to when I don't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. right? Because when you're a kid and you're grieving, even at 18, you, it's, it, young adults and uh children grieve completely differently than people who have the context of, you know, how, how they're supposed to feel and how to articulate it. Yeah. So it's, as an 11-year-old, like, I didn't know what divorce meant, but I knew that, and I didn't know how to feel, and I turned to this thing. So, like, in high school, my um whenever I was having a hard time, my TV production professor was, or teacher was always like my safe haven
0: mm. and
2: like a mentor. He, he actually taught me how to play guitar. Um, really, Mr. Arsenal. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he was like a surrogate parent. I don't know when oh, yeah. things were really turbulent. I started turning to people in film. Mm. And so he got me like a scholarship to go to Wesleyan. And he's like, you have to go to SCAD. Like they would, you know, I was not at, I was a drug addict in high school and, um, didn't have amazing grades, but I had this thing that I kept getting scholarships for. Um, and that was, and I, and I think like, I was really fidgety as a kid too. Like, um, I was much more drawn to like, um, art, the arts and like the, those kind of core curriculums rather than, you know, um, you know everybody's distracted in high school. So, and so when my mom died um, and I came back to SCAD, I didn't have a relationship with my dad and I started that, that, like looking for like mentors and looking for like basically surrogate parents was -hmm. just amplified. You know, my professors meant so much more to me than they might know, or maybe they do because I pestered them so much and like (laughs) Um, even now, like the president of the school has been so supportive, and like, you know, I'll never replace my mom. And I think that's like a part of this like cycle where like I'm just constantly trying to because I, I just don't have someone guiding me through this process. Yeah. Even like people I worked with, like Jen at Foxy Loxy um, in that community, and like Local 1110 um, and Leopold's, Mary and um, um, Stratton at Leopold's, like. There, they still send me, you know, Christmas cards, or I still, like, reach out, shout out to them on Instagram, and it's, like, you know, my sister actually babysat Jen, uh, Jen's um, son, when oh, he was, really? like, super, little. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, that's so cool,
2: um, but, yeah, I, it was, like, a really supportive community, and I think what you're talking about, about, like, you know, um, when, when I went, I remember going to Wesleyan for a pre-college program, and feeling, like, Oh wow like these I finally feel like that I fit in like I I made it to Hogwarts kind of thing you know there was something yeah. like always off and then going to scad it was like that on steroids because it's right. a Bauhaus style art school so you know the core curriculum is all design oriented and it I was no longer a bad student <laughs> you know? because i was you know i was exploring something at, inside of me that felt different from everybody else and so like it was it was always like an environment so coming back and having these mentors it it like readied me to do that in the real world as well like f- seek out other you know wizards
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> um and i think in the film community that's there's a thing of like someone helped you Um, So now, you know, so I'm always I try to be I've been getting a lot of messages recently, but I try to to answer like young film students as much as as much as possible, just because like, there's no roadmap to, you know, at when you leave school, there isn't and SCAD, uh, SCAD's alumni program is definitely taking measures to like improve that and ready students but they're just in the industry in general, there's no like, you know, you do this job and work your way up in the ladder. Like that's kind of antiquated at this point. And um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling. Oh, no. <laughs> I, re- I remember leaving school, like one of the most influential jobs that I got, I was a lighting tech and I did all these like <laughs> odd jobs and I moved to Austin. And like the, one of the most influential jobs that I got was, I was uh, in business development at Uber Eats. Oh, And I like sold Uber Eats to restaurants Hmm. and like never understood the importance of of being able to like collaborate on like a cell and like, you know, get someone excited about, you know, the work that I was I was wanting to do and that I was pitching. And I think that really helped me just like understand that, like when people say no, it's not because of me, it's because of them. So it's like, you know, I don't know it 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 was something that like they don't really no one's going to teach you how to you know sales unless you're at a sale you know take okay. a program like that um but yeah and, and then so when i graduated i um i reached out i found out there was like an alumni success there was a atelier program and um i <laughs> There was like a South by Southwest event at um, at, at in Austin for SCAD, and mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, inebriated. And there were two alumni success advisors struggling to do this raffle
0: mm-hmm.
2: at the event, and I was like drunkenly, and I was like, you know, I have a loud voice, like I can do this raffle for you, <laughs> and like like ran this SCAD raffle. <laughs> and then stayed in touch and they were like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, you know, please stay in touch. And then um, when I found out about the Atelier program, the artist residency that the president personally funds, um, funded and is amazing. I reached out to one of those alumni success advisors said, hey, here's this project. Would it fit the mold of what this, And, and honestly, like, it wasn't, it was a program for people who make products that, that then SCAD can promote and sell. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a program that like, you know, I, they weren't, I didn't want them to own the documentary. There's, they've, they've been very, very supportive on that front. And she put me in touch with the director of the program, Grace Grund. And we just talked about how can I present this in a way where we can make this happen. And mm-hmm. she like saw the importance of the project and the potential and so did the board and so did the president of the school and they had known me at that point because i had done you know my senior thesis went to some festivals and mm-hmm. um yeah and that we shot like what so i we started the program i invited back a bunch of people that i had gone to school with and collaborated with my producer solomon pachena met mm-hmm. the first day of scad who's still my producer on my show um they all flew in and my dp and my sound every every you know, just the best guys and then, uh, and we did this program and shot almost all of the master interviews that are on the show um, cool. now, which is <laughs> so crazy. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
2: yeah, so they, I don't know. There's definitely like an air, I wish I could go to school forever because there's just like, I, it does feel to me like Hogwarts. Like there's this air of energy and creativity that is just um, contagious and um, all of these places that you can just go to like, do your work and meet other creative people and collaborate and, you know, I don't know. I had a really good experience with my professors as well um, who like saw that I was trying to, always trying to do something different. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful. I love coming back, (laughs) you know, seeing everybody.
1: I think it's so great that you touched on that. I feel like since I started going to SCAD, I'm a senior now, but like the SCAD community and the creative community has always been so emphasized and just like reach out and network to as many people as you can because you really do come back and help people. So it's cool to hear like your side of that story and how you're still in touch with, you know, everyone and created this thing because of that. Yeah. Um, what is, or how do you approach telling a story through a documentary? Is there, like, at any point a writing process, or do you kind of figure it out as you go?
2: That's a great question. Nobody, I'm glad you're asking this, nobody asked me about this. Um, There is a process, everything, especially with with Verite, well, it's a little less with Verite. Get everything transcribed, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some great websites out there like Rev.com and some other ones that will yeah. do auto transcriptions for like 10 cents a minute. Wow. Um, get everything transcribed. And then I'm just like a spreadsheet queen, mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I, I like, I, you know, we make these like different Rosetta stones of all, you know, we've shot a lot, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, we we were fortunate to have resources and a team of interns and and people on our, our um, PAs who can go through the footage and categorize, like summarize the what each clip, what happened in each clip, and and what you know storyline it correlates with. But yeah, we we outline every um, we have. I don't know. You can kind of see it in the doc in the background. Like my brain just exploded on the walls. <laughs> yeah. Like my, I we we outline we I I do it by character and what are the sort of story arcs and major beats that have that correlate with the central um, story obviously mm-hmm. my story is very it's more is different than a typical documentary because it's first person point of view mm-hmm. and honestly i would only do that if the story had anything to do with my life i'm not going to mm-hmm. like insert myself into someone else's life to you know okay. make it my story um but yeah we we um Beat everything out on a on a board, um, you know. Identify the characters' wants and needs, mm-hmm. the sort of overarching story that we're tracking, and the main characters and main character and uh, plot that out. And then I have a digital version now, thanks to COVID. But I, <laughs> you know, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. That where I can like move beats around, and then we um, write outlines based on those. Um, and it's tough with something that's like ongoing because but it's also really special it's like the hardest thing to do is is do a verite documentary about something that's happening that's unresolved Um, and you can't really plan that out so like we we've made uh, outlines that include things that just never happened or or that that happened but weren't weren't the you know the you know worthwhile be a lot of with, with this project, there was a lot of serendipity. For instance, like a grief counselor, you know, owning the home that my mom died in, died yeah. in front of, uh, in the front lawn of, like, we didn't know that. That was our last shooting day and everybody had to do overtime. And I was like, you guys game for this? Like, I wanna go inside and like, they were like, we'll do whatever you want right now because this is important to, you know,
0: yeah. to your life
2: you know? And it turns out to be like one of the most like impactful scenes of the documentary. Absolutely. And like, so like I overanalyze and overthink everything. And I, and I think I went through an evolution process with this project where I started very bare bones and like, as a, as a part of a documentary class at SCAD, Mm -hmm. came back after honing my tools a little bit and was very much like regimented and intentional in everything we did, even though it behind the scenes was like crazy. And then <clears throat> realizing that every, I, I did a couple of labs, I did a doc lab at Austin Film Society, realizing that this was gonna be on TV, like I really wanted, and, and like that the personal point of view is the most unique part of it. We sort of paired back pretty greatly mm. um, as a, a creative choice. Um, because like that was going to be the most intimate, um, those were gonna be the most, the potential for the most intimate scenes, like me and my grandmother on, yeah. on, a, on our porch, or like me and my sister at like a, you know, an old place that we used to hang out in high school. And it's just like me, someone else and a camera. And like, uh, there's a the part where my grandmother is like having a hard time and i like reach out my hand from behind the camera and hold it. And it's like those moments, so, you know, you can plan all you want and like identify the story and structure, but I think a good documentary has the ability to be flexible when yep. it comes to, especially if you're doing anything verite, which I think is the hard, one of the hardest thing ways to do a documentary, but the most rewarding.
1: I totally agree. I feel like So many times you can get so caught up in watching something that you forget almost that it's actually a real story and it really affected people. And then, yeah, seeing those small moments like, you know, meeting the grief counselor or, yeah, when you reach your hand in, like, it just brings you back to, oh, this is someone's story. This is, you know, we're actually watching this. Like, yeah. I think it's so powerful. Thanks. Can you even begin? I guess, to think about what could be next for you. Do you see yourself uh, publicly continuing the story or do you see yourself moving to a new avenue?
2: Well, you know, um, not to spoil anything, but there is like a pretty big revelation at the end of the documentary. And after eight years of piecing together, you know, fragments of people's memories around March 3rd and around you know, my, their memories of my mother, there, I've, there's, I'm going to be digging into these case files, you know, there's just no way, like, the transparency and clarity that it's providing for just facts is, is just, like, extremely relieving and, and honestly addicting for me, and it's hard to, uh, you know, a part of this process, what I've compartmentalized a lot, and in a way, it's to, like, sort of analyze what happened so that it's, it it's created some finality with my mom's, my mom's passing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but you know, there's the other side is that, you know, this, it's really traumatic to look at this stuff. So it's crazy. Like there's something in my brain that like turns off when I'm like really digging into it. The first time I look at it, it's, it's impactful. And then I can sort of have, I'm like just processing, processing it until it's, you know, facts on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely digging into this stuff. Um, the form that that takes uh, is, you know, it's too early to say right. what that is, but, um, you know, I'll never stop. Right. I, but, you know, I, I think throughout this process, my focus in school wasn't documentary. I, I, you know, I did take a doc class, but my senior thesis was a narrative and I'm, I'm very much like, you know, I would say trained if that's the right word for, uh, you know, graduating film school, like my focus was scripted. And um, doing this project has shown me the extremely humbling experience of um, telling the story of real people um, with their voices. And the, it, it, you know, I think documentaries are most effective when they're character driven, because, you know, It doesn't matter what topic you're doing if it's about the the stories ultimately about that character going through it and it has the most potential for empathy for an audience and i i just i'm i think i've found something that you know i would be grateful to continue doing through documentary because it's extremely rewarding um and extremely fulfilling to you know, use my art or medium as a way to tell undertold stories or um, a different side of them.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. You do documentaries so well, it's so, um, I'm surprised that you didn't go into it. But also I think at SCAD there's so many, the good thing about SCAD is that I would say, you know, one out of two people you meet end up changing their majors, like, a bajillion times Um, and there's just so much room for that especially from um, like I'm a documentary photographer and I've taken film classes at SCAD and like just seeing how they're all so connected I think it's such a great thing for people to be exposed to definitely Um, just kind of wrapping up I'm curious to know if you have any advice for people who might have a film that they're trying to you know, get out there, not even necessarily to HBO, but just trying to get their films out there, or even people trying to examine and put out stories that are so close to them?
2: Um, so close to them? Yeah. I would consider, you know, if what it means if this were on HBO and, um, or if this were like in the public eye, if it were you know something like really personal, um, because you have to have thick skin and the the industry is very competitive. But just like, I would not under undercut. I would you know, um, you know, don't shortchange yourself and reach out to as many people as you can and watch a movie every day. <laughs> if you're in film, you know, like watch a movie every day expand what you you think a film is because um you know documentary in my mind has changed so much over the, over the past eight years you know I was exposed to the Mazel's brothers and, and things like that mm-hmm. the early forms of filmmaking but it's it's just like I would just I would just you know reach out to your heroes because like I don't know I remember um and, and like don't don't hold back, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot, like it's big risks come with big rewards. You know, there's, there's, um, I remember, uh, after doing the Atelier program, not really knowing what it was like, how to take that next step. And I was really fortunate to be connected with someone who just really gave me a, a shot. Um, uh, but I remember listening to a podcast with Aaron Lee Carr. Who's a documentarian? Who's fucking amazing, and now is like a uh, a friend of mine, or I would I would call her a mentor as well. Yeah. Um, it was long form podcast, and she talked about the pitching process. Yeah, and um, I had never had that much transparency before, and it really like motivated me that this isn't impossible. There isn't like a secret club that I mm-hmm. need to know the password for, and. Um, you know, it, it just, like, these things can happen. You just have to keep putting yourself in the right position. And then also, like, at school, make as many... I can't swear, probably. I don't know. <laughs> make as many mistakes as you can. Right, you know, right. Just take risks, make the mistakes, feel them, get past them. Embrace the failure, because, like, that's what film school is amazing for. Um, you're in school. You have that excuse, you know? Like that's the point the point is for you to to make the wrong decisions and learn from them you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like half of your experience is on set and then when you're out of school you know 50% of your time is um, you know creating opportunities for yourself to work and 50% of the time is the actual work so like be ready for that you know Mm -hmm do you know explore as much as you can now because it becomes harder and harder once you get out
1: Mm -hmm. definitely I think that is a perfect way to end this (laughs) okay thank you so much
2: for having me sorry for rambling so much
0: no 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 not at all hello everyone this is Elise again I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Madison I wanted to thank you for listening to this week's special episode If you're interested in watching Murder on Middle Beach and supporting a SCAD grad, the full four-part docuseries is available to stream on HBO Max. As for Bookmarked and Dog-Eared, check back again Friday, January 15th, 2021, for the next episode with Sylvie Baggett, another SCAD grad, writer, and editor. All episodes of Bookmarked and Dog-Eared are available on Spotify or at scaddistrict.com. Thanks again!